So a lot of these things were already mentioned again, but let me just maybe maybe kind of bring it all together. When we when we read that word leper, um, it, it, it is a word that's used with for numerous different types of skin disorders. It could have been the leprosy that we often think of when we hear that word. It could have been others as well. But either way, there is an outward disease that is causing this person to be a social outcast in these cities. And because of that, any leper is going to be fully dependent on the mercy of others to provide for their essential needs. They were beggars. They were completely dependent on others to provide food, clothing, their, their money. And this leper shows at least through, the, at the beginning, his physical posture and his words, a submission to the authority of Jesus. He prostrates himself before Jesus. Another passage says that he, he, he put his face on the ground, not just kneeling, but fully laying himself out before Jesus. And he begs him to heal him if it is Jesus' will. So at the beginning, we seem to see a demonstration of the leper's submission, humility, and faith in Jesus. And then we see Christ's response. He shows pity. He uses his authority, as he always does, to heal and to restore. His meekness is once again on display. And it's also fully and immediately effective. Again, reflecting on his divine authority. And then we have these two, maybe as we read, seem like some unusual commands from Jesus to this leper. And it's the command is twofold. The first is don't tell anyone. We know from other passages that Christ, this, this command is coming from the heart that Christ knew that the time would be coming for public preaching and public proclamation. But now is not the time, and once again, the tongue of the leper was not the one that Jesus desired to spread these, this news. Because again, Christ was not just about publicizing his healing authority, the gifts that he was giving to these towns. But they were to demonstrate his authority so that as he proclaimed the gospel, remember after he was done praying and they interrupted him in our last story, he said, let's go to the towns and do what? Let's go preach the gospel. That's why I came. And he knew that as the, as the leper went and spread the news of the healing, that's where people would, would magnetize toward. The publicity would be driven by his healing ministry, not by his gospel preaching. And it become increasingly difficult for him to follow through on his mission when he's constantly mobbed by desires for healing. So the main point of his ministry, the preaching of the gospel, was, will be hindered by these large crowds. And we'll see that at the end of the story. Remembering Jesus' miracles are not the point of his gospel ministry, but they were the authentic proof of it. He was the one that was be proclaiming his gospel not everyone who was healed at this point. So the first command is don't tell anyone. The second command was to go and follow ceremonial law, to do what Moses commanded for his cleansing. And this not only pays respect to the ceremonial law, as Rand mentioned, Christ came to fulfill the law, but it was also to display his healing authority to these religious leaders. This is an interesting in one sense, it seems like a juxtaposition that 
Jesus in one sense, and we're going to see that in some of the stories following concerning the Sabbath, that Jesus was not bound by the law. Jesus was bound by his mercy and his grace, by his perfect and holy character. He was bound by his mission to fulfill the will of the Father. That's why in violation of the ceremonial law, he did as Lorraine said, and, and his healing was touching an unclean leper. So he wasn't bound by the law, but he did show respect to it. And if you'd like to see maybe a fleshing out of what Christ was commanding him to do, you can write down Leviticus 13 and 14, which are the commands of the ceremonial law. If, if a leper was, was cleansed, this is how the, the ritual that he needed to go through before being received back. And then when the leper began to freely talk about this miracle, as was already pointed out, that was in direct disobedience to Jesus, news began to spread. And an important, I want to downplay it, but an important but not a vital part of Christ's ministry, which was his healing ministry, now became the driving force of his popularity, not his gospel proclamation. He could no longer walk into a town anymore without being bombarded with healing requests. So he continued to find desolate places to retreat. In Luke 5.16, immediately following this, um, this, this narrative in the Gospel of Luke, it says he retreated to desolate places to pray. So we're seeing Christ continue what we saw displayed in our, in our passage we studied last week, that he would withdraw and commune with his Father in prayer. So what are some applications we can take? That's just kind of the snapshot. So I, I, I kind of wrote down three things with some sub with our two things. <clears throat> we, we have some lessons from the leper that we can learn. But then there are also things that we observe with Jesus' healing. So let's, let's begin with the leper. <clears throat> when he came to Christ, he displayed a worshipful attitude, a worshipful posture even physically. He knelt before him. And again, in one of the other passages, he fell face down before Christ. And he recognized, this is very, I think, important for us, that the leper recognized he had no claim himself on Jesus' healing authority. He had no claim on Jesus and his divinity and the authority that, that, that came with that. So his request was not encapsulated with this thought. This is not what he came with. I'm going to claim Jesus' authority as something that I can manipulate in order to get what I want. But rather, he came with the knowledge that healing would only happen if it's part of the sovereign will of his God. I think it's very important, especially as we're studying prayer. We don't come trying to manipulate God's divine authority to get what we want, but we come always, your will be done. So that's something that we can learn. Another thing we can learn from this leper is that he asked not to be healed. It may be a minor distinction, but I think it's an important one. He, he asked to be cleansed, to be made clean. And it's interesting that when leprosy is in play, that verbiage is always used. It's not healing, it's cleansing. I think that finds its root in the Old Testament, the, the, the Jewish view, Israel view of, of leprosy. They're commanded to call out unclean. They're cast out from society. They're ceremonial and socially unclean. Oftentimes, they, leprosy was seen as the result of God's 
curse on a person. And just think of the compounding that had. Not only are, do you have an unhealable, other than divine cleansing, unhealable disease, but now in because of your disease, and amidst all the physical suffering, you can't have friends. They can't embrace you. You don't have family. You're cast out from anything that would bring you any kind of so, social interaction, social joy. So not only was he sick, he could have no social interaction. So for him to approach Christ in this way, and again, in this passage, we're not exactly sure where this happened. Um, in Luke, it says it was in one of the cities. So the leper may even, with great courage, said, I'm going to go into the city. That's where Jesus is. I know he can heal him. I know that's not socially acceptable, but I'm going to go and find Christ and implore him and beg him to heal but either way, for him to approach Christ in this way showcases humility. But when he has to be cleansed, he understands the compounding effect of this disease. That he not, not, not only needed to be healed, but he needed to be cleansed, declared cer- ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean so he can enter back into society. But then we see Jesus put this leper's humility and submission to Christ to the test. He desired, asked, sternly commanded him to go to the priests for proof so that they would see and they might believe. Now, we don't necessarily know if he did that or not. I think we can infer from this passage he probably didn't. But we do know that as a whole, the priests continued throughout this, ultimately leading to Christ's re- crucifixion. The priests continued to reject Jesus. The leper also disobeys Christ's command to not tell others and, he, and Christ's desire so that he could continue to go about his mission in the crowded places of the towns. We do know that the leper disobeyed. And because of that, he hindered. Christ's gospel ministry. True disciples submit to Christ's authority in their life. They become useful vessels in his gospel mission, not hindrances. True disciples of Christ don't just ask and desire to receive God's good gifts, but they desire God himself, Jesus Christ himself as their supreme joy and their supreme treasure to one whom they entrust their lives, one who they lay down their lives for, one who they submit to his lordship in their life. And so this leper, after having received a good, gracious gift from God, then rejects Christ's authority in his life. He disobeys. And eventually, Jesus' ministry in Galilee, as we'll go through the book of Mark, we won't go that far to the end of the year, but hopefully you continue to study. You're going to see that because of this, Jesus' ministry in Galilee screeched to a halt because the popularity of his healing ministry prohibited him from preaching the gospel. However, because God is sovereign, Christ will have his will accomplished. People were not completely hindered. They went and sought him even in the desolate places. But again, it leaves us wondering what might have happened if this leper obeyed. So those are some of the lessons we can learn from the leper of what does real discipleship look like? What does following Christ look like? It's not just desiring his good gifts, but delighting in God himself, submitting to his authority.
But we also observe a few things through the way Jesus healed. What can we learn from Christ? While the leper came to him in humility, the leper understood this. We need to understand this, that the only healing that would come would be because it was Jesus' divine prerogative to heal. Not on any action of the leper. We see that because it, the, the leper implores him, kneels before him, recognizes his sovereign authority. And then Jesus makes the next move. It says he's moved with pity. And it's because of Jesus' character. He reaches out and heals. We read in other passages like Luke 4, verse 40, that Jesus, in his healing ministry, was really no respecter of persons in this manner. Even when we read about those coming to Simon's door after sundown, after the Sabbath, when Jesus essentially stayed up all night healing, we don't have any indication that all of them came with this type of posture and this type of faith, and that's why Jesus healed them. So Jesus' healing ministry, there's no distinction between believers and non-believers, true disciples or those who are just mesmerized by his power. There's not a category of those with a lot of faith, they get some healing. Those with little faith, maybe a little bit. Those who maybe display no type of saving faith, uh, we're not going to go there. But Christ's healing ministry in this way, physically, was for all. So what moved Jesus to heal him? Again, as we mentioned, it was his compassion, his pity, his divine character. And what a reflection of our God. God is a God of compassion. He was moved by the effects of the curse of sin on the world and how that had affected his people, those who he created in his image, those who live in it. And how he healed, as already mentioned, was very important. We certainly know that Christ, with his authority, could have easily healed this leper with just his words. But he stretched out his hand. Jesus touched him. Physically, it carried with it the danger of contracting an extremely contagious, debilitating disease. But it also broke the ceremonial law that lepers were unclean and not to be touched. Now, as long as this man had this disease, we don't know how long he had it. But he, since his contraction and showing the symptoms, would not have been touched. This man would not have been touched for however long he had the disease. Part of, I think we all understand that part of human nature longs for that. Longs for affection. Longs for compassion. I know some of us are hug people, some of us are firm handshake type people. You know, we're all made a little bit differently, but within each one of us and being created in the image of God, we desire affection. This man certainly would have had that longing. The part of the image of God in him that had been taken away by this disease. And yet, moved with pity and compassion, Jesus reached out. He was the first touch in who knows how many years, and he cleansed him. And then with this healing touch, Christ shows his authority over the ceremonial law, giving, giving us a hint that this is going to be part of the law that Jesus will completely fulfill. And in, through his 
death and resurrection will make null and void for all of us believers post-resurrection. Now, we don't want to throw it away. The laws that God gave his people that were still in effect at this time were good. The law of God was a gift of grace to his people. It taught them how to interact with one another. It taught them how to interact with the nations. It taught them how to interact with God himself. What other God did that? Every other God that anybody else served just lived in fear that I'm not quite exactly sure what this God is asking me to do. I just hope that I do all the right things and say all the right things so I don't get struck. But God in his grace gave the law. This is how you interact. This is how you display my glory. This is how you live as my chosen people in a, as a holy nation in the midst of the world. So, so the law, this particular law was a good law. It was from God. It was in place so that when they interacted with lepers and themselves and God, they did it in a way that set them apart from other nations. We also need to understand that Christ came to fulfill in, in some ways, with some laws, completely change it. His compassion transcended sacred ritual. What the Pharisees missed. He came, as we read, I believe in Colossians, to reconcile all things to himself, including those from all tribes, all tongues, all nations, all diseases, all afflictions, all addictions, all backgrounds, and you can just continue on. So we get a picture here that no longer will ethnicity define God's people. But again, the kingdom of God is beginning to break out in these nations and will continue to spread so ethnicity will not define God's people, but God's, the blood of Jesus Christ will. Let me read for you Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. You don't need to turn there, especially if you just have your, your mark. But let me, just, let me just read this. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus. You, me, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances in order that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, Jesus came, and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father so we're no longer strangers and aliens but fellow citizens and members of the household of God. That's what he came to do. That's the gospel. And this is a snapshot of that. Let me close with a thought that I, that I came across from Pastor John MacArthur. It highlights the gospel through this narrative. We established that this man was an outcast. He wouldn't be allowed in the cities, which is where Jesus was at this point. But he came to Jesus anyway, most likely to a city. And moved with pity and compassion, Jesus completely cleanses him to where this debilitating disease was removed so that he could walk and talk and act as if a normal man now. 
completely healthy man. So this former leper was now accepted back into society. He could freely move within the city limits. No cries of unclean would follow him. No scorn from others. No physical or societal barriers because of a disease. That was the result of Christ's cleansing in his life. But where do we find Jesus now? Not able to enter the city. He couldn't openly go through the town gates to minister. He was now confined in some ways to desolate places. And this is what John MacArthur writes. And I think that's a metaphor in closing for what Jesus did at the cross. Is it not? We are the spiritual lepers who lived in alienation and isolation from God. We met him. We were brought into the presence of God in the kingdom. But the only way we could ever be taken from our isolation and brought into the presence of God was if he, Jesus, left the presence of God and wet himself into isolation. And that's what he did on the cross. Because Jesus was forsaken, because Jesus was treated as an outcast, we are accepted and welcomed into the presence of God. So here we see in this one little healing, Mark uses language that irresistibly draws us to the fact that Jesus takes the place of sinners. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that once again we can connect your word to the large narrative of the story in the Bible. The story of how you calling a people unto yourself through the reconciling work of Christ. Those of us who have been united to him through our faith in Christ. Were once your enemies. Once outcasts to your family. But now, through the work of Christ, we've been adopted. We are. We call you our Father. Jesus Christ is our older brother. And we, together, as a, as a body of Christ here and, and globally, are part of a family that you are calling out for yourself, for your glory and for our greatest joy. And Father, we thank you again for this picture of the gospel. May it encourage us tonight. May it move our hearts to worship our God. Again, may we not be drawn merely by the good gifts that you offer to us. May we be drawn in by you. May we treasure you. And then all these other things will be added unto us. Thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.